0: Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Previously in our study of the Book of Romans, Pastor Murphy showed us man's need of God's righteousness for salvation. Today we'll study more about this righteousness.
1: All right, uh, would you turn with me please to the Book of Romans chapter 3? Book of Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, and I'm reading from verse uh, number 21 and following. Well, let's just read from verse 20. um, Verse number 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God, without the law, is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that have passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. That he might be just and justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? Is it excluded? By what law... Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the spirit that pervades this church this morning. We don't always have this sense that something supernatural is in our midst. The fervor and the zeal with which the singing has gone on. And the testimony and special. All in my judgment seem to indicate that in a very unique way you're with us this morning. Not that you're not with us all the time because you said where two or three are gathered. There you are in the midst. But our sensitivity your presence is not always on par with reality. I pray for those who are here this morning visiting us. We thank you for the donning door the doors of this church. There are so many options to others outside uh, this church. and We have no illusions that we are the only one that has a corner on the truth. So we are thankful for those who are here this morning who are visiting. We pray that. Uh, you would use your word this morning to challenge, to edify, and above all, to convert and bring to faith in Christ. For those who are already members of this church and uh, who have been faithful to this ministry and who are here with us this morning as an endorsement and support to the work of the ministry, we are thankful and we're grateful. And even though converted and saved, we must grow in knowledge of our Lord, we must grow in our understanding of truth. And many, many times we missed significant truths that are so obvious that it amazes us when these are brought to our attention. Sometimes familiarity blinds us to the full meaning of a passage of Scripture. We think we know it. We have memorized it. We have perhaps quoted it. But the impact of it has never really fully hit us. Until one day you bring the matter to our attention. And in a very enlightening way. You peel back the layers of familiarity. And you expose to us that naked truth that is there. That has been there for so long. But we might have missed it. There's nothing new. For us to preach. Uh, We preach Christ. Today. Yesterday and forever. He doesn't change. Your word doesn't change. But what does change. Is our understanding of your truth. And this is the ministry that the Holy Spirit has. In bringing to our attention these matters. And clarifying these matters. In our minds. So that we can get a grasp. Of your unassailable truth and grow greater confidence and faith in that truth so we thank you both for those who are visiting and those who are our members and we are just hoping this morning and praying and anticipating that you being with us would now minister to those here through the word finally Lord help uh, this preacher enable me empower me anoint me Allow that the words that are uttered, though human words, would be so impactful through your spirit, taking the very words of God and applying it to the hearts of your people. Lord, we have one task, and that is to be faithful to your truth. Not to preach politics, not to preach sociology or all the other ologies, but to preach Christ and Christ crucified. And to expound your word and explain your word. We are shut up to your word. And we cannot go beyond your word. We can't subtract from your word. We can't add to your word. Our task is simply to expound the word. And I pray that I would do justice to your word by doing exactly that this morning. And I pray that those who sit here would understand that that's the pastor's duty. Not to make them feel good. Not to rouse up the emotions So that they go away with some kind of elation that is only temporary. But the soul take the truth and so explain the truth. So enlighten about the truth that the truth itself becomes the means of thrilling our hearts and rousing our emotions. It is through your truth that we are changed and we are transformed. Emotions follow truth. But we must not make the mistake of thinking that emotions are a summary of what truth is all about. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for this church, this ministry. Thank you for those who are here. No, Lord, we turn to your word. And we ask for your blessing as we preach it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to look at verse number 21 of Romans chapter 3. Where Paul says, but now the righteous of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all that believe, for there is no difference. In our previous sermon on this chapter, we began to examine what I call the final section to the book of of, uh, chapter number 3. In this final section... The Apostle Paul introduces us to what I call the biblical doctrine of salvation. Previous to these verses, the Apostle Paul has successfully prosecuted his case against man. He has shown very clearly that man is not only sinful, he is guilty as charged before God. And because he is sinful and guilty, he is now under what is called divine wrath. I cannot emphasize that too much. If you are an unsafe person here this morning who does not know Christ, you may feel good about yourself and you may be at peace with yourself. But may I say to you that if this is you, over your head every single day is divine wrath. The Bible says the wrath of God what abides upon the man that does not believe. So you may not be aware of the danger you're in. But when you come to scripture, every single day of your life, if you are not a believer, you're not There's a wrath over your head waiting, waiting to drop and to consume you. The only thing that re- holds it in place is something called grace. But one day that grace may be removed. And I tell you, sir, you may be a big man here this morning that can boast mighty things, but you're no match for the wrath of God. So the Apostle Paul has shown clearly that man is a guilty sinner on the divine wrath. Now having done that, the Apostle Paul now addresses God's rescue plan. So now we begin with the turning point in the entire book of Romans. But now, anytime you see that word, but there's a change that has taken place. So the question we must ask ourselves this morning, is man irretrievably doomed? Is man in a hopeless position? Can man be salvaged? Can man be redeemed? Can man be saved? If man can be redeemed and man can be salvaged. What is the plan? How can he come from under the wrath of God? How do we do that? And if there is such a plan. Where is this plan? And what is this plan? These are the issues the Apostle Paul. Is now going to address. In this final section of the book of Romans chapter 3. Now you'll notice that before the law, uh, Paul begins to expound this plan of salvation which we're dealing with, you'll notice that the Apostle Paul does three things. Number one, the Apostle Paul nullifies and he debunks any legalistic fallacies that a man can ever justify himself by the keeping of the law. The righteousness of God apart from the law. So any person this morning that sits here or can hear us, who has entertained the delusion. That by your righteous lifestyle and your good works and your morality. You can you can produce a righteousness that will satisfy the holiness of God. Can I say to you, you're living in delusion. So Paul makes that very clear. The law can only augment sin. The law can only magnify sin. The law can take sin and stretch it out in all of its ugliness. But the law has no power to deliver you from sin. So the first thing that Paul does is that he nullifies and he debunks any legalistic theories that man can ever achieve righteousness by his own effort or by his own morality. It's the fallacy that continues even today. And by the way, to, to further uh, explain that, the Apostle Paul, as I mentioned repeatedly in this sermon, has told, reminded us that the law only serves three purposes. He mentioned to you that it silences man, that every mouth may be shut. Secondly, Paul says it stirs up guilt that all the world may appear be guilty before God. And then thirdly, Paul says, by the law is the knowledge of It shows us what sin is. That's the whole purpose of the law. It can't save. It never was intended to save. Can't save now, can't save in the future. See, salvation is of the Lord, and it's a righteousness that God provides, it's not a man made righteousness. So, the law shows fallen man his sin, shows fo- fallen man his guilt, but the law is weak through the flesh, and it has no power, no redemptive power. It only magnifies, as I said. And augment sin. Now, when we come to verse number 20, Paul now leaves us where man is in a position where he's helpless, hopeless, and hellbound. Where is their redemption? What a dark picture Paul paints about man, but does he leave man there? Guilty, condemned on the divine wrath, but the question is, Where is the one that will come to save? Is there no redemption for man? And then, of course, the big question that Paul has to answer in this whole exercise. How does man get righteousness? Which man needs their need? Man is righteous. How does he get this righteousness? Job, centuries before this passage asks the question that Paul is going to answer in this chapter. Job asked the question in Job chapter 9 verse 2. How can a man be just before God? In other words, how can a man become righteous before God? This is the problem that men who understand the condition of man and the law state of man. This is the question that. Concerns, men. How can a man be just before God? How can a man become righteous? And Paul, the Apostle Paul, is going to explain the process by which this happened. And what Paul says in verse 21, that something took place that is transformational. Not what he said, but now, the righteousness of God. This, there was a great turning point In man's fallen history. Where God intervened. And now God makes righteousness available to man. So that man may be redeemed. So God has devised a way of righteousness. And this is what the Apostle Paul deals with in this section. When he begins to deal with this whole doctrine of salvation. Now you remember uh, last the time we got into this section of Romans, we said that in this last section of uh, chapter 3, Paul does two things. We said that in verse 21 to 24, the first thing Paul does is that Paul explains the way of salvation. He, he's meticulous. He's very detailed. All the major concepts, all the major words that are important to salvation, you find in this section. And Paul explains in detail. Now I am emphasizing that because you don't find anywhere in here where it says, bow your head and say a little prayer, Lord forgive me and save me. You don't find that here. So we ought to find out what does the Bible say on salvation. And when we are leading people to Christ, do we bring them to a passage of scripture to explain what salvation is? I'm afraid sometimes we get so accustomed with some particular theory or some mode of doing something, some can approach uh, to an issue that we we don't understand that we all have to go back to scripture and let the Bible speak for itself. So I, I want to deal with this matter very clearly because by the time you leave the service, there should be no doubt in your mind what salvation is all about. And by the way, if you find it is contrary to what you think or what you've been told, the problem is not scripture. The problem is what you've been told or what you think. This book cannot be false. It cannot be wrong. It is absolute truth. So when it goes against the grain of our thinking, what has happened, let it be the means of smoothing out the grain in your life and in my life. So he explains the way of salvation. And you notice that in doing that, Paul mentions several things that we want to talk about and we've talked about. First of all, the Apostle Paul points out that the righteousness which man needs, it is God that has provided it. In verse number one, he says, but now the righteous of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law of the prophets. Verse 22 Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith. Now notice three things that Paul says about this righteousness that man needs. First of all, it comes as an act of God. It's the righteousness of God. It is something that God provides. It's not something that you can manufacture or I can manufacture. So when it comes to salvation, we must understand that it's an act of God. Had he not provided this righteousness for us. None of us could be saved. And that is basic and fundamental to an understanding of salvation. Listen. Salvation is not just about your sins being forgiven. We've made that the essence of salvation. The key about salvation is this. Not only that you have been forgiven. But you need a positive righteousness. Look. Look. What if I'm dirty on the inside? I'm dirty, and my clothes are dirty. Forgiveness is like you're taking off the dirty shirt. But I'm still dirty on the inside. So, what I need when it comes to God is that while God removes the the, the, the outward garment of sin, I now need the righteous Christ to clothe me so that God can deal with me as righteous even though I'm a sinner. That's the whole mystery of salvation. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. So it's an act of God. Then Paul says it's apart from the law. And then Paul said the third thing. It is witnessed by the law and the prophets. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is that this witness about God providing a righteousness. That the scriptures, the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. uh, witness to it or bear testimony. That God was going to send and provide a means Of salvation. We're talking about the fact that God has provided a righteousness. And we pointed out that there are three distinctive features of this righteousness that God has provided. Number one. It's an act of God. Number two. It's apart from the law. And number three. It is something that is approved and sanctioned by scripture. When Paul says it's witnessed by the law and the prophets. What the apostle Paul is asserting. That. The law which begins the Bible, the Old Testament, and the prophets which ended. Everything in between the law and the prophets witness to Christ. And what the Apostle Paul is actually emphasizing is that the entire Old Testament has one major theme. And that major theme in the Old Testament is that Christ is going, God is going to send a Messiah... And that Messiah is going to die. And that Messiah's death is going to make righteousness available to man. That's the entire theme of the Old Testament. When you go to the Bible. And you read any book of the Bible. And you can't find Christ. You have not read it rightly. He's there. He's there. You have to find him there. Because he... You remember what our Lord's words in John chapter 5 verse 39... He told the people these words, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And then he says, and they are they which what? Testify of me. So when you go to the scriptures, search for him, because he's the entire theme and substance of the entire scripture from the book of the law until the prophets. He's there. Do you remember also the encounter our Lord had after the crucifixion? You remember he met two disciples on the way to Emmaus? And you remember that these disciples are distraught. They are depressed. They are defeated. They are discouraged. They are disillusioned. Their hopes are dashed. Their expectations are thwarted. And their dreams are shattered because they've put all the eggs in one basket. Depending, this one was the Messiah. But you remember that after he died... They thought that was the end. And so they're going back now saying, we thought he would have been the Messiah. And you remember why in that discouraged disposition, our Lord comes on the scene by them and begins to have a conversation with them. And then he said some words to them and he said these words, O fools and slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter in his glory? But get this, listen to him now. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things what? Concerning himself. So what the apostle Paul is saying, the righteousness that God makes available to man is a righteousness that you can trace that one would come called the Messiah. And this Messiah's death and resurrection will bring about righteousness which will be available to man. He is in every single book of the Bible. He is in its prophecies, he is in its promises, he's in its types, he's in its shadows, he is in its titles, in its offices, and its function. I'm saying to you, sir, when you come to the Bible, look through the spectacles of Christ, and He's on every page of the Bible. All the prophets. Now let me give you a sampling of this for just a moment. In Genesis, he is the seed of the woman that would crush the serpent's head. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb that would die, whose blood would offer protection from the death angel. In Leviticus, he is the offering that the high priest offered, but he's also the high priest that offers his own offering. He's there. In Numbers... He is the manna that sustained them. He's the rock that offered the living water while they were walking through the desert. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet that Moses said, The Lord will raise up a prophet like unto myself to whom the people should gather. In Joshua, he's the captain of the Lord who leads his people into victory to the promised land. In Judges, he is the supreme judge that judges all of his people. In Ruth. He is the kinsman redeemer who redeems that which was lost and puts it back in place. In first Samuel, he's God's anointed one who would be king. In second Samuel, he's the anointed king that rules the united people of God. In the book of Chronicles, he's king of king and lord of lords. In Ezra, he's the one who restores the temple and rebuilds the people of God. In Nehemiah, he's a king servant who rebuilds this, this eternal city of God. In Esther, He's the hidden sovereign behind the scenes. Even though his name is not mentioned. Who protects his people. Shields his people. He's a sovereign God. Who lives in the shadows taking care of his people. In Job. He's the redeemer that liveth. You remember what Job said? My redeemer liveth and I will stand. And in my flesh I shall see God. In Psalms he's a shepherd. He's a suffering one. He's a son. In Proverbs he's the wisdom of God. Complete and encapsulated. In Ecclesiastes. He is the object that gives meaning and purpose to life. Vanity of vanity. Where is meaning? Found it is found in Christ. In Solomon, he is the beloved. He is the son of Sharon. In Isaiah, he's Emmanuel, the servant of God that will come. In Jeremiah, he's the man of sorrows. In Ezekiel, he's the glory of God. In Daniel, he's the stone that crushes all the kingdoms of this world. In Hosea, he's the lover that never leaves you even though you go away from him. He comes and he pursues you. In Joel, he's the hope of Israel. In Amos, he's the judge of all the nations. In Obadiah, he's the inaugurator of the kingdom of God. In Jonah, he's the one that dies and rises again and goes and preach repentance. As Jonah was in the building of the way three days and three nights. Even so, shall the son of man be. In Zephaniah, he's king over all Israel. In, in Zechariah, he's the Messiah who will come riding on the colt of an ass. You remember that? And in Malachi, he's the son of righteousness who will come and shine with healing in his wings. Every single book of the Old Testament, there's Christ. This righteousness is witnessed by the law and the prophets. He's in all the scriptures. And if you read and miss him, you have not read or write. These scales need to be removed from your eyes by the Holy Spirit. And when those scales are removed, you see Christ and Christ crucified in all of his fullness and glory. This is what Paul is talking about. But do you know, apart from the direct revelation of God and the prophetic word and the promises, one of the greatest studies that you can ever undertake as a believer is to do a study in what is called typology. Going to the Bible and see not only by prophecy and by promise is he there, But by imagery and allegory and metaphors and similes. He's also there in all of his fullness. He is there in certain persons who represent him and the picture of him. He is there in terms of an object or thing or an event or an institution. Let me illustrate for just a moment. Think of a person. Of whom is a type of Christ. Let me give you three quick ones. Adam was the federal head. That brought ruin to the entire race. Paul says that Christ is what? The last Adam. He is now God's new federal head. The same way through the first Adam. All was made sin. Even through Christ. All may be made righteous. In other words. Adam is a type of Christ. Being the federal head. Think of Melchizedek. You remember that it's talked about in the book of Hebrews. Christ is the priest after the order of Melchizedek. You know why? You remember who Melchizedek was? He was priest, king of Salem. Now you've never had a, case of king, a priest who was priest and king. See? But he's a type of Christ. Because Christ is not only priest, he's king. See? So he's a type of the Messiah. And time will fail me this morning to speak about Joseph being a type of Christ. The one who came and was rejected... But yet became the means of saving the nation when he came a second time. See, We have time this morning. I can show you about 20 different similarities between Joseph and Christ. Wonderful time. A person. But what about an object? Let's come to the ark. When God was about to judge the entire world and destroy the entire world, he told Noah, build an ark. The ark was the only place of safety where men wrecked. Ran for rescue. But not only that. In that art, they had one door. Christ is the door. In him. Man may run. And find safety. And in him. And him alone. He's the door. He's the door. We can talk about Jacob's ladder. You remember Jacob had a dream. And the angels of God. Ascending and descending. Well. Have you ever saw. John chapter 1 verse 51. Look there for just a moment. When Jacob had the, 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 the dream, it's the communication between earth and heaven. The angels who are the message of God, carrying the message from, from so the ladder, uh, Jacob's ladder was a means of the angels descending and ascending. And then notice what he said in, first, in John chapter 1, verse 51. He said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter you shall see heaven open. And what? The angels of God, what? Ascending and descending. In other words, what Jacob saw, I am. I am the bridge between God and man. See, I am the one, I'm the ladder. See. In the Old Testament, sir, I'm saying to you, look for Christ. If you don't find him, you have misinterpreted scripture. You don't understand it. See. He's there in all the scriptures. Think of an institution. You cannot read the book of Leviticus about the sin offering and the trespass offering and the peace offering and the meal offering and the requirements that were mandatory without spot, without blemish. A male. Who do you think they're speaking about there, sir? You remember what John said? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the earth. He's in every sacrifice you find. It's a picture of him and his work and his nature, what he would do. In all the scriptures. Take an event. The sacrifice of Isaac. On Mount Moriah. You ever read that carefully? And see that Isaac is a type of Christ. He said take thy son. Thy only son whom you love. Now here's it. Isaac was not Abraham's only son. But it was his only beloved son. Take him and sacrifice and notice how willing Isaac is. You think an old man like Abraham, almost 100 years old, can handle a little boy 17 or 18? He can wrestle with, an a, a old, a, a old man can wrestle with him. But why doesn't Isaac resist? When you see the altar there, and your daddy begins to put chains upon you, and, and tie you up to put you on the altar, would you fight? But he's a perfect type of Christ. See, The son who submits to his father. And Is willing to sacrifice himself, but then there's another picture a ram caught in his, with thorns in his head that is used as a substitute. Both are types of Christ the willing sacrifice and the substitute sacrifice. He's there, sir. He's there. If you can't see Christ and you can't find Christ in the Bible, you need I salve. He's there in all the scriptures, testified and witnessed to by, and then a thing. When you come to the book of Corinthians, Paul says some amazing. He said, Christ was that rock that followed them in the wilderness. You remember when they didn't have any water? They struck the rock and out came water. Paul says, that was the type of Christ who gave the people living water. See, as we move through this desert and this wilderness called life, we need food. He's the manna from heaven. We need drink. He's the living water. What happened in the wilderness is just a pictorial Demonstration of what we face with in life. In all the scripture. But before we move on. I want to emphasize what a lot of people miss. In regards to salvation. I'm, I'm just making a point here. That we equate salvation with only. Mainly the forgiveness of sins. But do you notice what's the key here about salvation, the doctrine of salvation? The key here is that forgiveness of sin is not enough. I repeat, forgiveness of sin is not enough. Man needs more than pardon. What man needs is righteousness. Let me put it another way. We must be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Now, you remember the parable I preached on uh, a few weeks ago in Matthew chapter 22? You remember the parable of a man who went into the marriage feast? He got into the door. He got in. But you remember that when the master came out and started looking at the guests and... Uh, Interact with the guests and socialize with it. He peeped over and he saw a man who what? He didn't have a garment. And you imagine? No, he's inside. You know. Somehow he got in, like some people got into the church. See, they're there. See, but the problem is they don't have the righteousness of Christ. So when the master saw that he's in, he said "Sir, how come you didn't have any garment?" because I'm told in those days one of the customs uh, is that to make sure that there was not a lot of competition that the, 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 the bride was the outstanding f- person in the, in the wedding they made sure that everybody kind of dressed the same you, you don't want the, the bride to be outdone by somebody who comes in there with a nice chandelier dress <laughs> so what you do you make sure that everybody comes in and the, 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 the bride is the center of attraction no garment no garment You know what Paul says in Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30? Christ is made unto us what? The righteousness of God. See? When you are in Christ, his righteousness is what clothes you. I want you to look at an interesting verse in the book of Revelations chapter 19. Look at Revelations chapter 19 for just a minute. Revelations chapter 19. Look at verse number 8. Verse 7 said, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor unto him. For the marriage supper of the land has come and his wife have made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. And notice the next verse. Next verse. what? The fine linen is what? The righteousness of the saints. I want to say it to you this morning. And I want it to be patently clear to you. You need more than forgiveness. You need the righteousness of Christ. And if you don't have that, you'll be found in that day as a man and a woman without a garment. And you remember what happened when there was no garment? He said, take him and cast him into what? Out of darkness. Look, let me say this. There is no hope in Muhammad. There is no hope in Haley Selassie. There is no hope in Vishnu. There is no hope in Buddha. There is no hope in Rashnish. And there is no hope in TM. There is no hope in any one of them except Christ. Because none of them. There is no hope in Baha'i faith. There is no hope in what is called Christian unity. The only place there is hope is in Christ because he offers what will make you in a give you a standing before God. Righteousness. None, none can offer righteousness but Christ. So when we begin to deal with people and talk about being saved, let them understand what salvation is about. It includes forgiveness, but it doesn't stop at forgiveness. And I'll tell you why it's important to emphasize this. Because unless a person is willing to leave his sin and pursue a righteous life, he is not ready for salvation. Did you hear what I tell you? Pastor, they didn't tell me that before. Well, I'm telling you now. Don't say nobody never tell you. What we have created is the monstrosity of people who say a little prayer coming to the church. Say they get saved, but they have no interest whatsoever in righteousness. How can that be salvation? You tell me. I give you the authority right now to stand up and tell me how it is possible for a person to be saved and have no interest in righteousness. Doesn't exist. It only exists in our minds and what we've been told. That is why we need to come to passage of scripture like this. And examine it carefully to understand where the emphasis is. It's on righteousness being made available to man. Listen, the Christian faith, whether you like it or not, is about righteous living. I don't know if you know that or not. I get very concerned where people see Christianity as an insurance policy to get to hell but they have really no concern about living godly lives or righteous lives that concerns me greatly and it should concern you too because what's the purpose of the church if it's not about being different and God enabling me now to live a righteous life different than what I had before What's the purpose of it? You've heard me said several times from this pulpit and I'll say it again. Christianity is far more serious than people make it today. We've turned it into something it was never designed to be. So the first point that Paul makes is that salvation involves God making righteousness available to man.
0: Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us how we obtain this righteousness needed for salvation. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gamble's Terrace, Antigua.